Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading for today is 1 Corinthians 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, we are grateful for your word. And I pray that this morning uh, your spirit would make clear what he has inspired for us that through it we would see more of the beauty of what you do, regardless of where we find ourselves in life. We'd see more of the beauty of what's true of each of us as a saint. I pray that you would lift burdens and equip us all for the glory of your son Jesus. We pray these things in his name, by your spirit. Amen. If you haven't already, I do invite you to open to 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I think that one of the most common questions many of us are asked when we're kids, or at least it's one of the most common questions I was asked when I was a kid, is uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what's interesting to me uh, at this juncture in my life is the number of adults that I meet who are still haunted by that question. And we all laugh because like we know it's True, like I hear people jokingly say all the time, I, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And, and I get like the joke, but I feel like anytime someone says that, it's also tinged with, with longing. Longing for a calling. Like in other words, what's wrapped up in that statement is when am I going to find uh, that thing that I was put on earth to do, that thing that will give me purpose, meaning, identity, Like when people say, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up, I feel like what they're really saying is, when will I find my calling? And particularly for Christians, for us as as Christians, that word calling, I feel like it kind of haunts us. Because if we feel like we haven't found our calling, then we are asking, can I even truly, fully, actually live for the Lord? Like so many believers, I, I sit and I counsel with them all the time. So many believers live under this heavy cloud of calling. 
feeling like they're just fumbling their way through life, hoping that they're getting it right. But Chase, what if calling wasn't a cloud that weighs you down? What if it was wings that set you free? Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. I think what we see right here is something that doesn't make calling something more confusing. I think it's something that actually brings clarity to our lives. I think that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to see right here. Doesn't just want Corinth, wants us to see, because at the end of verse 17, he says, this is my rule or the standard in all the churches. Paul drops this bomb right in the middle of chapter seven, which if you've been with us, you know that chapter seven is actually about marriage and singleness. And so this paragraph feels a little out of place, but not if we see what Paul is saying contextually about marriage and singleness. The Corinthians we saw last week, they're divided over which of those states leads to superior spirituality. Which one makes you closer to the Lord? Marriage or or singleness. The, the Corinthians we've seen, they were always looking for a way to, to climb the ladder of spiritual status. And they'd learned that from their culture. Their culture was all about climbing the ladder of social status. I know we can't relate at all. But Corinth was all about social advancement. That was life's main objective. That's what would give you purpose, meaning, and identity. And from the beginning of this letter, we've seen the Corinthians take that principle from their culture and spiritualize that, that mindset, constantly jockeying for position to try and be spiritually superior. They're doing that even when it comes to marriage, singleness, sexuality. And last week we saw Paul say, stop it. Corinth, quit trying to achieve a superior spiritual status. Here's the truth, Paul says, about your spiritual status. You're saints. You're God's set-apart people, and that's not a status that you can achieve, Corinth. It's one that you receive from Christ. He died for you in your place for your sin and made you holy, a saint. He achieved that identity for you. You receive it and then simply be it. Live in it right where you are whatever your marital status. Paul said last week, single, married, widow, it doesn't matter. You can live faithfully and fully as God's saint right there. That's the principle that we saw Paul apply to marriage situations last week. Next week, we're going to see him apply it to singleness situations. But right here in the middle of the chapter, he takes a step back. Takes us to like the 10,000 foot big picture to see how that principle actually applies to all situations. Marriage and singleness weren't the only things that the Corinthians were using to try and achieve superior spirituality. So Paul lays a, a foundational correction that, that will correct all of the different things they are trying to climb the spiritual ladder with. He lays a foundational correction concerning calling. If last week was about marriage matters and next week is singleness matters, then right here in the middle we've got calling matters. We just read a few moments ago the foundational correction 
that Paul wants us to see. He states it rather explicitly in verse 17. He's going to state it again right in the middle of these instructions and again at the end, like he's going to hammer this point home. Look at it with me one more time in verse 17. Here's his correction concerning calling. Only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. In other words, calling is not about changing your status but about living out the one you've been given. That's my best shot at summarizing Paul's correction for for the Corinthians. That's that's the core correction that he's been applying to how they've been thinking about marriage and singleness. It isn't about you trying to change your marital status. It's about you being faithful in the status that you currently have, the one that you've been given. But this is a foundational truth that applies in all the churches, for all Christians, for all time. Shades, we need to hear Paul's correction. Calling is not about changing your status, but about living out the one you've been given. Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. God has assigned me my life, Paul says. Like right where I am, right where I find myself, Paul is saying God is sovereign over my current situation. I'm not here by accident. And neither are you. Shades, shades, that's good news. Because it fills our life with purpose right where we are. God has me here. Paul is saying to the Corinthians in their context, God has you right where you are regarding marriage or singleness. Paul has me in a married state. I mean, God has me in a married state or God has me in a singleness state right now. God has me in the job that I'm in or in my joblessness. God has me in the place that I'm living, whether I want to live there or whether I want to leave. But ultimately, I'm where I am because God has assigned it in his sovereignty, and he's done so. It's good news because he's done so with purpose. I know that because Paul doesn't just say, I am where I am because God has assigned it. He also says it's because that's where I've been called. Look at it again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. In other words, for Paul, calling isn't something that's over there. Calling is something that's right here. Calling for Paul isn't God saved me so that he might change everything about my current situation and call me over there. No, God saved me so that I might be called right here, right where I am. Paul equates the life situation in which the Corinthians find themselves with where God has called them to accomplish his purposes. It's not the first time he said this. He said it all the way back in chapter 1 in verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in the world, to shame the strong. God saved you right where you are, called you right where you are, because he has a purpose right there. Paul is correcting the Corinthians' thinking by saying calling is not about you changing your status, but living out the one you've been given. What is the status that the Corinthians have been given? You're a saint. 
You're a saint, so be that right where you are. That should be your primary aim. Paul's not saying our situations, our life situations will never change or will never change jobs or will never get married. or never. He's not saying any of that. We'll get to talking about that in a minute. What he's saying is your primary aim is not trying to change where you are, but being faithful where you are. Another way of saying that is that for us as Christians, we are not a people for whom the future robs us of the present. Like I'm living out there where I want to be, and so it robs me of any meaning of my life right now where I am. No, we are a people for whom the future, for us, is one of fulfillment and hope in Christ Jesus. That provides us with with power and meaning and purpose in the present. We are a people for whom the future doesn't rob us of our present. We're also a people for whom the past doesn't rob us of our present. We're not a people who live with just regrets and wishing we could go back and change everything and that renders us paralyzed in the present. No, we are a people for whom Christ died to cover our past. That provides power in the present. Shades, as a Christian, you are not a person for whom the past or the future robs you of the present. You are a person for whom the past and the future provides you with power and purpose in the present. The primary call is not to change where we are, but to be faithful where we are. Your your calling is not to go somewhere and do something, but to be a saint wherever you are. Shades, do do you feel how fundamentally freeing this is? Stay with me. If you think of calling as something that the Lord wants you to go somewhere to do, then I will be racked with anxiety trying to figure out what that is and where it is. And will I get it right? Or will I waste my life? But if calling is simply to be who God saved me to be, his saint, right wherever I find myself, then I have clarity that kills anxiety. I know my calling and I can fulfill it everywhere, anywhere. If if calling is having to get a specific job or having to achieve a specific relationship or family status, if calling is having to go somewhere and do something, then calling is not something I can always fulfill. As a matter of fact, it's something I might never fulfill. Or it's something, if it's a job out there somewhere, I might get it for a minute and then lose it and be taken away from me. And I will feel like I've lost my purpose. I've lost my meaning. I've lost my sense of identity. But if calling is to be who God saved me to be, wherever he currently has me, that can never be taken away from me. I always have purpose, meaning, and an unshakable identity. Get into med school or don't. Does that rock your identity? Your calling. Get married or don't. Lose the marriage. Have the kids or don't. Lose the kids. Calling is not about changing your status. It's about living out the one that you've been given. 
Now, perhaps that principle, that statement, the correction Paul's making, perhaps that causes some questions for you. I think Paul anticipates and answers our questions by giving us two applications of this correction. Let's take them one at a time. Application number one. You don't need to change your spiritual status. Live out the one you've been given. You don't need to change your spiritual status. Live out the one you've been given. Look at verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. So, Circumcision, obviously, was a sign of belonging to the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. Christ has fulfilled the law in the New Testament. Circumcision is no longer required. In Corinth, there would have definitely been Jewish men who had come to faith in Christ in this church, but had been circumcised as infants. And now, through the teaching of Paul, they're, they're, they're learning. Christ has fulfilled the law. Circumcision is no longer an identifying marker of God's people. It's not required. And because of that, it seems that some began to view uncircumcision as a superior spiritual state. And the Corinthians want to climb the ladder of superior spirituality, so it's likely that some of them were tempted to remove the marks of circumcision. Now, if you're like me, you're going, how is that possible? If you would like to ruin your afternoon then you may Google the word epispasm, which was an ancient surgical procedure, and you may find out. I am not going to let you know this morning. Have fun Googling. It was a procedure that Jews used to hide the marks of circumcision so they'd be more accepted in Greco-Roman society, so they could climb the ladder. If you're like, how would anybody ever know or ever tell? Well, athletes in the ancient world competed in the nude. There were bathhouses, public bathhouses. There were lots of ways that people would be able to know and tell and word spreads. Paul tells the Corinthians, no, don't do this. Were you already circumcised when God called you to faith? Don't seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Don't try to change your spiritual status. Try to make yourself more acceptable to God. He says the exact same thing to those who would think the opposite. Look, continue on reading. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So there were those on the opposite side of this argument. We know that there were teachers in the early church who taught, yeah, Jesus is nice and all, but you still got to keep the Old Testament law, so circumcision is still required. Otherwise, you're basically just kind of like a second-class Christian. And it seems that there was some in Corinth who'd bought into that kind of teaching. And Paul says, no, don't seek circumcision. Don't, don't try to change your spiritual status. Live out the one you've been given. Verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. In other words, faithfulness. Remember what Paul is saying right here. He's applying it in the larger context to marriage and singleness. When he says uncircumcision, circumcision doesn't count for anything, but only following the commandments of God. He, this is an illustration of his larger point. He's saying to Corinth, marriage, singleness, it doesn't count for anything before God. What counts? Live according to the commandments of God. Live faithfully. 
In 1 Corinthians 7, he's been showing them how to do that with regards to their sexuality. Here's what faithful sexuality looks like in marriage. Here's what faithful sexuality looks like in singleness. Live faithfully, fully as a saint, right where you are, following God's word, being who he's called you to be. That's your calling. I know that's what Paul means because of three things. When Paul says, circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't count for anything. Only following the commandments of God. What's mind-blowing about that statement is that circumcision was an Old Testament commandment of God. So whatever Paul means by keep the commandments, it's not keep the Old Testament word for word. What does he mean? I'm arguing that he means live out your calling faithfully. And I think that that becomes explicit with a little help from Galatians. Paul's going to make this exact same statement twice in Galatians, that circumcision and uncircumcision don't mean anything as far as spiritual acceptability to God. But he's going to change his wording a little bit that I think helps flesh out what he means by only keeping the commandments of God. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What does it mean to keep the commandments of God? It means having faith in Christ, and that faith expresses itself in love, in faithfulness to Jesus. Or Galatians 6.15, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. In other words, if we put all this together... Paul is saying, you've been made a new creation, not through works of the law, like circumcision, but through faith in Christ. And that faith shows itself through a transformed life of love. Love, which Paul will actually call the law of Christ. This is what he means in 1 Corinthians 7, 19, when he says, circumcision counts for nothing, but keeping the commandments of God. He means works of the law, Trying to change your spiritual status are nothing. What matters is living out your new creation status as a saint, transformed to live a life of love that fulfills the law of Christ. Be that. Aim for faithfulness right where you are at. You don't need to change your spiritual status. Live out the one you've been given. Shades, are you ever guilty of thinking you need to change your spiritual status to make yourself useful to God? Like God can't use me until I achieve a certain spiritual status, until I learn to pray enough, until I know enough about him, until I'm good enough. Whatever it is, how often do we fall prey to the lie that we're not spiritual enough for God to use us? And so we try to climb some kind of spiritual status ladder to make ourselves enough. Shades, only Christ is enough. And he has made you his. You're a saint. Full status. Not level one, two, or three. You're a saint. Full stop. God shows you right where you are to use you right where you are. And he's enough. He's all you need to live faithfully right where he's called you to be. You don't need to change your spiritual status. He's done that for you. Live out the one you've been given. 
Application number two. You don't need to change your social status. In our context, think job, occupation, or anything that would make us more influential. You don't need to change your social status. Live out the one you've been given. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it or, or worried. Be worried about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. There would absolutely be bondservants in the church in Corinth. A third of the Roman Empire population was made up of slaves. And as soon as I say that, in our context, we do need to realize that slavery in the Roman Empire was different than the slavery that we encounter in American history. There absolutely, in the Roman Empire, there absolutely were devastating situations of inhumane brutality. But there were also lots of instances of upward mobility. Bond servants of wealthier families, they could achieve wealth, they could achieve status. Many of them eventually would buy their own freedom. All of that to say, there was a lot of variety in the Roman Empire when it comes to being a servant. But Paul, at least right here at first, he seems to speak to those on the bottom rung of society. Those who were bond servants when they came to believe in, in Jesus. And apparently they're worried because he tells them not to be. In the context of this chapter, it would seem that apparently they're worried that their social status may affect their ability to serve Jesus fully. And Paul says, don't worry about your social status. Why, Paul? Verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. You don't have to worry about changing your social status because you've been given a status by Christ. The world calls you slave, he calls you free. For he has set you free from the ultimate slavery to sin and death to be his saint. He's given you that status and you can live that out right where you're at, even in slavery. Like Shades, do you, do you see the dignity that Paul bestows as he, as he flattens social categories in the, in the kingdom. He's, he's telling these slaves in Corinth that they can live just as faithfully and fully for Jesus as anybody. Do we believe that? Or do we envy people with big callings? People like Paul. I mean, surely... Some of these bondservants were doing some comparison between themselves and Paul. You ever do that? Comparison between yourself and another believer and get a little envious, wishing that you had a calling as big as theirs, maybe a calling as big as a missionary, maybe even a calling as big as a celebrity Christian out there, Christian influencer. Anyone who seems to be doing something greater than me, shades. Is such envy jealousy for the glory of Jesus? Or our own. It kind of reminds me of Reaper Cheap. Everybody knows who? Where are my Chronicles of Narnia people at? 
Come on. And not just those who read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in like fourth grade. This is Prince Caspian. And Prince Caspian, Reepicheep, is a proud little mouse warrior. He fights in this big battle, and he loses his tail. And after the battle, he asks Aslan, the, the Christ figure, he asks Aslan to restore his tail. Listen to this. Aslan says, but what do you want with a tail? Sir, said the mouse, I can eat and sleep and die for my king without one, but a tail is the honor and the glory of a mouse. I have sometimes wondered, friend, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. Shades, we too often treat calling the exact same way as reap a cheap right here. What I mean is the truth is that God has given us everything we need to live faithfully for him right where we find ourselves. We can eat and sleep and die for our king, but we'd really like to be seen as achieving something. Because really this is about our glory. Shades, our glory is not our calling. Our calling is to faithfully point to Jesus' glory wherever we find ourselves. That becomes even more clear as Paul turns from addressing bondservants to addressing those who are free. Look at the rest of verse 22. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Remember, there's a lot of variety in Roman slavery. And there were many free Greeks who would often seek a higher social status by choosing to become a bondservant. How could that achieve a higher social status? If they chose to become a bondservant in a prominent household, that held the potential wealth and of Roman citizenship. So to the poor free man, in Roman society, he could see being a bondservant as an opportunity to advance socially. Paul looks at them and says, no, no. You don't need to change your social status. Try and climb the ladder to make yourself of more use for God. You don't have to change your social status. Live out the one you've been given. What have you been given? You're his. Bought with his blood. That's your status. You're a saint. Live it out. Bond servant or free. Paul says you all have the same high calling. And it's possible for you to live it out wherever you find yourself. Shades. How often do we think we need to change our social situation to make ourselves more useful to the Lord? Like We may not be bondservants, but like the Corinthian bondservants, we may feel like our daily work gets in the way. Gets in the way of, of what we could actually do for Christ. Or maybe like the Corinthian freemen, we may feel like we could be of more use to God if we advanced more socially or, or climbed the corporate ladder in our job. In fact, all this talk about vocation and job, I would say that our daily work, our occupation, that's the primary place I think most Christians feel an angst when it comes to calling. Whether you have a job in the corporate world, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whatever you do, which is where we as Western Americans get our identity, which is why it's such a shifting thing. One of the places anyway. 
But I think for Christians, because we place such a high value in our culture, our secular culture, on what we do, we have spiritualized that mindset, brought it into the church, and that's what we baptize as calling. And so all of us are left feeling like, I, I, just, I just don't feel like I'm doing what I'm called to do. I feel like wherever I am in life, I, I could be doing more. I feel like I'm just kind of like spinning my wheels. Shades, I feel this all the time. Does that surprise you? Like I think that people sometimes think pastors, missionaries, anybody in full-time ministry, they must like have the most fulfilled existence ever, feeling like everything that they're doing is for the Lord. Ask my wife how often I sit around and mope and whine and complain that I don't feel like anything I do makes a difference. Because I make my calling about me. And I say in one word or another the same thing that I think all of us do. I just don't feel like I'm doing what I'm called to do. Maybe I would feel more fulfilled, Paul, if I was a missionary like you. Shades, have you ever thought about the fact that Paul does not call all Christians to follow in his footsteps? Now, he's not anti the raising up of missionaries or pastors or anything like that. But in his mind, read his letters, in his mind, people called into those kinds of roles, those are the exceptions, not the rule. Like when people come to Christ, the rule, the normal situation in Paul's mind is you keep your job, you stay where you are, and you live faithfully of Christ right where he called you. That's what he's saying right here to the Corinthians. It's what he says in another way in 1 Thessalonians 4.10. We urge you, brothers and sisters, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Be faithful. Be a saint right where you are. Shades, do you realize that the reason you are a believer today is primarily not because of Christian celebrities, not because of big personalities like Paul, not because of people who did big things for God. The reason you are a Christian today primarily is due to a long line of nameless, faithful believers who passed the gospel and passed the gospel and passed God. Somebody, somebody, who shared the gospel with you? Somebody. A, a mom, a grandmother, a young uncle, young life leader. Anybody else? Mom, mom. Dad. dad, friend. Where are all the celebrity pastors? Even if you did come to faith at a Billy Graham crusade, you are not faithfully following Jesus because of Billy Graham, but because of so many believers who walked alongside you through life, whose names none of us will ever know. That is the normal calling of a Christian. And it is, Paul is stressing, it is not insignificant 
at all. 1 Corinthians 7.24, Paul concludes by saying the same thing he's been saying throughout. So brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Be faithful right there. Were you single when called? Be faithful. Married? Be faithful. Wherever you're working, be faithful. Get into the school you want to get into? Be faithful. Don't get into the school you want to get into? Be faithful. Make a decision and it goes awesome? Be faithful. Make a job decision and it goes terrible? Be faithful. Be who God saved you to be. That is your calling. Now, Paul is not saying never change your life situation right here. He's, he's not saying, like, if you were single when you came to Christ, tough lot. <laughs> Stay there. Never get married. He's not saying you must never change jobs. What were you doing? Were you a teenager when you came to Christ and you were working fast food? Tough lot. <laughs> Stay there. He's not saying that you can never change your life situation. That's clear from his own story, and it's clear from the example he gave to bond servants back in verse 21. Look back at it. He told them not to be concerned about their situation. They can live faithfully and fully as a saint right where they are. You can live faithfully and fully even if you work fast food for your entire life. You can live faithfully, fully for Jesus right where you are. But, he says to these bond servants, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. In other words, clearly Paul expects and even encourages people to occasionally change their life situations. But his point his point is that our primary aim is not to change our life situation. Our primary aim is to be faithful in it. Be faithful here. And if your circumstances change, then be faithful there. God may lead some of you to be a missionary like Paul. He may lead you from one job to another. He may lead you into marriage. He may lead you into having a family and kids. Or... He may keep you right where you're at. The point Paul wants us to see is no matter what, wherever we are, all those occupations, or a better word, the more Christian word is vocations. It's from the Latin vocal. It means calling. Paul's point is that whatever your occupation, it's a vocation. It's a calling right where you are. None, nobody has a superior position to others. Our calling is the same. It's a call to be a faithful servant of Christ wherever we find ourselves. That is the aim that we want to grow up to as in, in maturity in Christ. What do I want to be when I grow up? Jesus is faithfully his wherever I am. That's what gives me purpose, meaning, identity, shades, shades. What I, what I want you to walk away with this morning is that you can breathe easy. You don't have to find your calling. It's been given to you right where you are. You're called to be who you are, a saint. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the weight that your word lifts from our shoulders. Truly, we can take your yoke upon ourselves, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And by your Spirit, you can empower us to live for your glory wherever we are.
And I pray, I pray that we would know that faithfulness where we are has a ripple effect beyond anything we could possibly ever imagine. I pray that we would know deep in our bones that we can live our lives, we can live and die in obscurity. And the ripple effect of our lives can redound to your glory. Father, may that truth seek deep into our hearts. And may your spirit empower us to live in line with it. We, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, for his glory. Amen. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen. <laughs>